If you will find a copy of God's Word and turn to Luke chapter 1. If you're using the Pew Bible, you'll find that on page 1088. This morning we continue our series on Advent, uh, Luke's version of Christ's first coming. Thanks to PJ for starting us off last week. This morning we're looking at Luke verse 1, 26 and following. So as you're able, if you'll, still, if you'll please stand for the reading of God's Word. Hear now God's holy, inerrant, and authoritative word. Verse 26, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray now that by your Holy Spirit you would give unction and anointing, uh, ears to hear and eyes to see. In the name of Jesus we ask it. Amen. Please be seated. You know, people generally like surprises or don't like surprises. Have you picked out your Christmas presents for other people to give you, or do you want it to be a surprise to you? Now, We have surprising things happen in our text today. And when we think about it, God acts often in surprising, unexpected ways. In fact, if we look at the history of God's people, this seems to be his favorite way of doing things in ways that we would never expect. Think about uh, just the the line of history in the Old Testament. First, he created man and woman when he didn't have to. That was actually fairly surprising. I mean, and then when they sinned against him, he did not just be done with it. But rather, even in their sin, he promised that the Messiah would come, the, the, the serpent crusher of Genesis 3.15. And then, and then, you remember how he started the nation, the people of Israel? He took an old man and an old woman, Abraham and Sarah, Sarah who was barren and had no children, and who was well beyond the age of childbearing, and that's whom he chose to begin his nation, his his people. And then do you know one of the reasons why he sent his people into Egypt, into hardship for 400 years, kind of surprising, was to make them big and great, that when he pulled them out, he might get the glory over Pharaoh and the false gods. How many ways does God do surprising things like, uh, like when his people were hungry, what did he do? Instead of you know, setting up a, a super Walmart over there, he just made it rain bread from heaven. 
And certainly you see in your life and mine, as you look back, all the surprising ways that God is working, things that we never would have looked for or thought in order to bring himself glory. Well, we have a lot of surprising things in our text today. And I'm, I'm very thankful that God works with, through, and against our efforts, that, that he works in ways that we would never think of. Uh, because when he does that, he gets the glory and not us. And we certainly see that in spades in the Christmas story. We saw it last week with Zechariah. This week we see it with Mary. And so this morning, three points because it's a sermon. A surprising plan of great news for surprising recipients. Okay. Let's first look at a surprising plan. The first surprising thing here is that God would choose a young virgin, a young betrothed virgin, to bring his son into this world. The youth and I were talking about the, the Matthew version of this text in Sunday school. And we were talking about during the period betrothal, it's not like our engagement. It's kind of similar, uh, but it was much more legally binding. In fact, the way things worked back then is that right before a girl became a woman, she would be betrothed in what was normally an arranged marriage uh, to a, a, what we would consider a middle schooler, right? a young high schooler maybe. Um, and this period of betrothal would, would last a while, and it was legally binding and such, that in order to get out of it, it actually required a, a divorce. And during this time, if you read the Matthew version, it's real clear, uh, Mary and Joseph, I'd never picked up on this until this morning, they were called husband and wife. Did, did you notice that in the, Mary, in the Matthew version? They're called husband and wife before they are married. In this period of betrothal, that's how binding it was. But they had not come together. They had not been married yet. And so it is to this young middle school, early high school, probably late middle school girl, that this is the one that God is going to use to bring into this world his son for our salvation. That's actually rather surprising. And so six months after Gabriel appeared to Zechariah to announce the pregnancy uh, of his barren wife, there's something surprising, that we have these two complete opposites of the spectrum. You know, Elizabeth, who is very old and is past the, the time of childbearing. And then, and then we might say with the Virgin Mary, we might say, well, she might, could we call her too young to have children? Certainly not in the, the right season to have a child. But God likes to do what is impossible. In fact, I love the words that Gabriel leaves with Mary at the end of our text. He says, um, verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Good words to live by. As you look at your sin, as you look at your struggles, as you look at the situation in your home, as you look at your finances, as you just look at your emotions, you look at all your life and say, there's no hope for that. Let me tell you something. Nothing will be impossible with God. And even in surprising ways. I love when He surprises us. Actually, a lot of times we don't like when He surprises us, do we? Because we like being in control. And here is a young girl who was following the Lord, keeping herself for marriage, and Joseph, a godly man, betrothed to her. And God says, I'm about to throw you a curveball. And it's not just for you. It is for all creation. It is for my people. You know, as we think through Scripture, God likes to do things this way because he alone gets the glory. It was real clear in this situation that there wasn't anybody to give glory to except God. He's the one who instigated this. He's the one who carried through it. He is the one. This was his plan. 
And in the words of P.J. McClung, P.J., I will, I will always love you for learning this from you. Doesn't it sound just like something God would do? We should also mention, though, that it shouldn't have been surprising in some sense. Because Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive. The virgin shall conceive. And not in the normal way of conceiving, that someone would conceive and remain a virgin. But the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. But there's another surprising element here. Do you remember where the Messiah was meant to be born? The rebels read it to us this morning from uh, Micah 5. It wasn't in Nazareth. It was not in Nazareth. We might say Gabriel went to the wrong place, except he didn't. It's that Mary was in the wrong place, at least not right now. See, Nazareth was, was kind of like um, East Podunk or Slap Out Alabama. If you're from Slap Out, I'm sorry. I don't mean to insult you. Uh, you know, there's nothing, nothing good comes from Nazareth. In fact, we, we find that in one of the Gospels. And so Gabriel went there and said that you will conceive. That's why it's important that we're going to find Mary uh, and Joseph in Bethlehem. Because the Messiah had to be born there. And so they would go there because the census was called. So the first thing is we have a surprising plan. Who would have planned it this way? Nobody except God. And it's all for His glory. What is this great news though? So we have a surprising plan of great news for surprising people. So, so great news. What's the great news? We see it in verses 30 through 33. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. There's great news here. There's such good news. How did you name your children? In my family, it's an unwritten rule that you have to use names that uh, have previously occurred in our lineage. So when we named Thomas, we found that we loved the word name Thomas, and then we went and found him to make sure that we could actually name him Thomas. And it turns out that Thomas was first generation from England in our family, and he, helped, he and his brother helped build uh, the first Presbyterian church in New York. Right? You, just, you can't make that up. Uh, and so our son is named Thomas, um, after, well, because we like it, and then we found someone <laughs> that we liked. Uh, how did you name your children? You probably named them after you liked the name. That's not how things worked back then. You would name someone, you would name someone, uh, a name that meant something, and it was an aspirational kind of thing, that they would live up to it. And so when Gabriel shows up with good news, by the way, it didn't have to be good news, when the angel shows up, when God sends his messenger, his holy messenger, who seems to be so terrifying that everybody's afraid, it didn't have to be good news, but it was. And he told Mary, and he told Joseph at another time, that you're going to name this child Jesus. Why would he do that? Because Jesus has a meaning. It's the Greek version of the Old Testament name of Joshua. Now, Jesus would have been called Yesu, or really actually in Aramaic, Yeshua. Yeshua, Joshua, means God saves. 
So when they called on Jesus, they were, it was a statement of faith. God saves. And here he was. Here was the one who was saving because he is God. Here was God, Emmanuel, walking with his people. And he had come with a mission, and that was to save his people from their sins. We get that from Matthew 1.21. This is what he's, the angel told to Joseph. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. Paul David Tripp one of his books says this, We don't offer people a system of redemption, not ideas, not a set of principles and insights. We offer people a person, a redeemer. We offer them Jesus. That's, by the way, how someone can grow up in the South and know everything about the Bible and yet not know Jesus. Because they know about Jesus without knowing Him. Do you know about Jesus or do you know Jesus? Have you heard about Him or have you received Him? Because you can know everything about Jesus and go to hell. But if you want to live with God forever in heaven, if you want your sins forgiven, you actually have to know Jesus. That your God came to this earth because He loves you, not because you're good. Because you were lost. And like a sheep without a shepherd, you are going astray. And yet the Father has laid on His Son the iniquities of us all. This is the one you must know. He loves you. And He bids you to come to Him. He's called in here, by the way, by the way great. His name shall be great. Now we throw the word great around like we use the word awesome. You know, we say that's awesome. Uh, now, historically use the word awesome... It, you're, you're, you're full of, it's like awful. You're full of awe, right? Your mouth is stopped. That's, that's how the word great is used in the Old Testament. The overwhelming vast majority of the time that it's used, especially if a person is speaking out one person, and it's Yahweh, as God most high. And so here, the angel Gabriel, right, with the message, if it's coming from God through the angel, through the angel Gabriel, He's going to be using this word great in its theological sense from the Old Testament. This one who is going to be walking on the earth, whose name is Emmanuel, is God. And that's what we miss at Christmas so often. That God came to earth. Jesus wasn't just some good-looking baby who may or may not have cried, depending on which version of Way in a Manger we sing. Right? Rather... This is God Himself who made all things. And He is the one who was laid in a food trough, in humble estate, laying aside the glory that was due Him in heaven. The one who is called great, this is the one who came. He is called Son of the Most High. I've used a Hebrew word a few times today. It's one of the names of God, El Elyon. Old Testament name for God, and it means God Most High or Highest God. It doesn't mean Highest God in the sense that He is physically located above everybody else. He's talking about that, that He is over, He is higher than any other God, and we know that all other gods are so-called gods. He is the chief and only God. There's one true and living God. And this Jesus who is coming, the good news is that he is the son of El Elyon. That's going to be the reference here. He is son of Most High God. 
I like what one commentator says, Philip Ryken. He says, this phrase could be used for any child of God. There's a sense in which every believer is a son or daughter of the Most High. But this title belongs to Jesus in a unique way. Divine sonship is his eternal identity as the second person of the Trinity. God, the eternal Son. This is Lord Sabaoth. This is the Lord of angel armies. He is the one. And he comes not, he is announced by an angel, one of his hosts. But he doesn't come with an army. One day he will, by the way. His second advent will be very different from his first. In his first advent, he came to bring salvation, to save his people from their sins. And he came to take the throne of his father David. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, we'll read in verse 32. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. I am ready for Christ to come again and fully usher in his kingdom. Aren't you? My heart really wants it today. All the darkness. It seems dark right now. We've lost so many. I'm ready. But first, before he could come, he had to come first. He had to come in this first coming, that he would receive the throne of his father David. See, needed was a greater king than David. Needed was someone who, a king who would not fail. Needed was a king who could really effectively deal with all of our enemies, the enemies of God's people. Those inside of us, like our flesh and our guilt and our temptation, and and those outside of us, like the world and the devil. Needed was a divine king, the better Davidic king, who would come onto the scene and rescue and redeem and rule and reign. And at Christmas, this happened. Presidents come and go, kings die. They tried to kill our Savior and our king, and it didn't work. He lives now. And now he rules and reigns on the right hand of the Father until he comes to judge the living and the dead. That's what happens at Christmas. The king comes. So we have a surprising plan with great news. The great news is salvation is possible because Christ came. Christmas in view of Good Friday and the resurrection. Third, surprising recipients. Surprising recipients. Who are the recipients of this great news? Well, we are. And that's the surprising part. You know, if the IRS sent you a letter, you might tremble at opening that letter. Or your boss comes into your office and closes the door. You might have that sinking feeling. Just because there's news doesn't mean it's good news. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's good news for you. But I'm here to tell you, though we don't deserve it, Though we are the ones who rebelled against the king, though we are the ones who are dead in our trespasses and sins, the good news is that it's for us. We couldn't earn it. We couldn't deserve it. Christ came into this world to bring salvation. He came into this world to die for sinners like you and me. And so, for those of you who are here that aren't believers, thank you for being here. If you're not a Christian, I'm so thankful you're here. And I'd love to sit down and talk to you about the claims of Christ and try to answer any questions you might have. Uh, And if I don't know the answer, I'll find out from someone who does. But I, I would encourage you to heed the call of Christmas. 
that, that God has come to earth. And that's got to mean something. Today is the day of salvation. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live, Isaiah 55 says. But for believers, rejoice. Rejoice. And we were talking to youth this morning. My prayer for you and for myself is that this year Christmas would actually mean something to us. You've done that before. You've done Christmas on autopilot before, hadn't you? As you think about, you know, what, what you're going to eat, and those are great things. What you're going to give, do that. God gave us gift, a gift of salvation. We should give gifts to others. Do those things. But let's not do it on autopilot this year. Let's not do it on cruise control. May the Lord give a speed bump to our hearts. that We might reflect that Christ has come, and I yearn for the day He comes again. Let's pray. Father, thank You for sending Your Son Thank you that he came and he fulfilled the mission that you had given to him. And that all those you gave to him have come and are coming and will come to him. And that nothing can snatch us out of his hands. And and the work that you began in us, you will complete at the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that day would come soon. We pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we come to the Lord's Supper. We'll have a, a hymn of preparation. We're going to stay seated and sing verses 1 and 2 of 206, There is a Redeemer. Now the words of institution from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord 
I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. When the Lord Christ uh, was born and lived a perfect life and died and was raised from the dead, he left us gifts. Um, he, he knows that our frame is weak uh, and that we need help. One of the great gifts he left us uh, was the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is memorial in that it calls to mind that which is Christ, what Christ has done for us, but it is more than that. When we come to the Lord's Supper, He grows us in His grace. He nourishes our faith. He strengthens us for obedience. It's, it's a time where we get to do business with God. As we start this week, and we ask for His help this week, as we do business with God to confess sins that we have harbored in our hearts, or even to make peace with brothers or sisters in Christ, even in this room, you might get up and go make peace. It's a family meal. It's the meal that our Savior has left us, that He might help us uh, through this season of exile and pilgrimage. So, if you are a member in good standing at an evangelical church, you do not have to be a member of our church, but you do need to be a member of some church. If you have trusted in Christ for salvation, uh, this table is for you. It's not First Presence table. It's not our denomination's table. It's, it's Jesus' table. And he welcomes all those who have repented of their sins and put their faith in Christ Jesus. If you're here and you're not a believer, I'm so thankful you're here. So thankful. I would ask you not to partake the elements as they come by. Instead, let's get together and talk about what's going on here and how you might become a Christian. If you are a believer and you're running from God, or if you're not at peace with someone and you hadn't tried to reconcile, then, then do, do business with God at this time and, and maybe wait till next time to come to the table. And for the rest, if you're tired and weary, if you're hungry, uh, if you don't know how you're going to make it, this table is for you. Let's pray. So Father, we thank you for uh, the gift of the Lord's Supper. And we pray, O oh Father, now that you would set aside these elements from their common and put them to their sacred use that you might grow us in your grace, and we might feast upon our Savior in our hearts by thanks with thanksgiving. In the name of Jesus, amen. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
as far as the east is from the west. And that's pretty far. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. The body of Christ, the bread of heaven for you. same way also after supper, he took the cup and he said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often you drink it in remembrance of me. As high as the heavens are above the earth, and that's pretty high, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him.
Brothers and sisters, this is the blood of Christ, the cup of salvation for you. And so, Father, in the hard days ahead and the good days ahead, keep our eyes upon Jesus and help us to remember this time when we fellowship with you. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We'll conclude our service with number 206, verse 3. Just a reminder, uh, we will have a, a short um, break. If you are not a member of the church, uh, feel free to excuse yourself. Uh, I welcome you. I'm so thankful you're here. Uh, normally, I'm at the back. Um, but we will have a, a short congregation meeting uh, for those who desire to stay. Let's stand and sing. His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace both now and forevermore. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.